The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Your uh, Bible this morning to Mark chapter 12, uh, Mark chapter 12, three verses this morning, Mark 12, 35 through 37. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're in a uh, study, uh, uh, we're in a long study of the book of Mark, and you will be amazed that next week you will be further ahead in Sunday school than we are from the pulpit. So uh, it, there is an end to Mark, I promise you, you will get there eventually. We've actually decided this week to slow down to these three verses because they're so jam-packed. We didn't want to skip over them, nor did we want to neglect them, so uh, we hope that uh, you are blessed by this as well. I do want to let you know, just, uh, just uh, I know many of you have asked about this, Miss Irene, uh, who's been in the hospital, did go home last night. Uh, she's at home recovering. Uh, no visitors at this point, but pl- please continue to pray for Irene Johnston. Don't usually make habit of that from the pulpit, but uh, do want to let you know she has gone home from the hospital. We'll get that out of her email today as well. All right, Mark chapter 12. Well, even as gas prices are going up because Memorial Day is around the corner, right? So they got to inevitably go up again, 252 60. There was a man named Ward, and he, even with all these gas prices going up, he took the long trek from Canada all the way down to the end of California at San Diego along the Pacific Highway Trail. When he returned, his friends were eager to hear how he turned out, and Ward was more than happy, more than pleased to tell them about his trip. He said they made it all the way to San Diego before a tow truck picked them up. And his buddies sighed as if they were feeling his pain, but Ward quickly replied, Guys, don't feel sorry for me. There wasn't anything wrong with the car, but it was just cheaper to get towed all the way back than to pay for the gas. (laughs) Don't try that, please. Some things just don't make sense until the truth comes out. How did you get from point A to point B? And friends, that is exactly an apt truth for where we are at in our point of Mark, because we are getting ready to go into some verses that you just look at and say, how did you get from here, Jesus, over to there? How did you get from point A to point B? And even for the people of Jesus' day listening to him, perhaps some of this stuff was just over their head. But in verse 37, it tells you that they loved it. They couldn't get enough of it, even though they didn't know how they got from point A to point B. But instead of practicing all the things God has told them to do over the years, the people of Israel had wanted to go their own way. They wanted to stay on point A. They didn't want to take a detour to go where God actually wanted them to go. And so Jesus, on what we've been calling Question Tuesday, is going to be the questioner asking the question. And he's going to tell them exactly who he is. But for most of them, it's going to be like that thing, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and it just goes, woo, over their heads. This is a tough passage, not because it's untrue or controversial, because it's just unfamiliar to us, and we need to know how we got from point A to point B. But it's a reminder, too, as we start this out, that just because you're in a crowd listening to Jesus or hearing my voice or hearing the Word of God preach, it doesn't mean you completely understand it. In fact, 1 John 2, 19 says this, familiar passage, that they went out from us, but they were not of us. That if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But that they went out, it might be plain that that they were not of us. 
the crowd that wanted to know where God was taking them would be the crowd that would not want to go where Jesus was going. They wouldn't want to go with him. And so for much as God gives reminders, he does not need to repeat himself. If God has said something more, and through careful study we will see that he has not, then the things that the people were hearing, even though they might not have connected all the dots, were true statements. And as we read the Bible, it's always wise to confirm that our understanding is accurate by checking it with other scripture. When that TV preacher tells you something, when your friend tells you something, but what does the Bible say? And friend, as we go through this passage, that's what we're going to connect the dots with. What does the Bible say about the passage before us? And so these people, though, come to Jesus, and they don't ask him any more questions. Jesus now goes on the offensive, and he does this because he's going to show them once again who he is. And that's the most important question we can ever have. Because remember, he's been questioned by lawyers, he's been questioned by priests, he's been questioned by political officials, and they're all confounded by him. And now what do we do with this Jesus? And Jesus is going to tell them, you either believe what I say, or it just goes from one ear and out the other. So friend, a question today, will you set your heart today on things that cannot satisfy or rest your heart on anything other than Jesus Christ? Will you set your mind and your thoughts and your, your, your person on anything other than what Jesus has given us? Because in these words are life and life eternal. Words that are unfamiliar, but words that are necessary. The big idea today is very straightforward, and it goes right with the passage that Jesus is eternally God, perfectly man, the God-man, the only one, the only mediator between God and man, and Jesus is going to take that thought a little bit deeper for us. Look, what is the takeaway from this short passage? Let me just tell you right here. Stick close to Jesus. Get away from everything else that would ever take you away from him. And know that even in your feeling distant, he is sticking close to you. Even when you can't connect the dots of where he's taking you in your life, this Jesus who's going to confound the crowd and impress the crowd knew exactly where he was going because he's the one that knows how to go about the going. And I honestly don't know how I could manage without my friend Jesus. And I don't honestly know how I could imagine without the truths of his word. I mean, isn't that why Revelation 2 and 3, in every church he speaks to, Jesus says these words, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. He knows. For whatever you're facing today, even if you can't connect the dots, Jesus knows. And so two truths, as we connect the dots, what Jesus is doing about himself and about how it connects to us, two truths we must follow this morning. First is how Jesus understood the scriptures. How Jesus understood the scriptures. This is so important. The Bible is not... Do you remember those magic eight balls? You ever have one of those? You know, you went in there and you kind of switched it around for a minute. Am I going to marry this person? And it says, not a chance. And am I going to do this today? Yes, you are. It, G, the Bible's not a fortune cookie. The Bible's not a magic eight ball. It is about God himself. And Jesus is going to affirm that. And then finally, Jesus is going to say how he understands himself. Not the buddy Jesus, not the, the cultural Jesus, not the Jesus that attaches to whatever, uh, whatever issues out there today to make it look palatable to conservative Christians, but the Jesus of the Scripture. Who is he? That's what he's going to bring to us and connect all those dots. If you're able this morning, in honor of God's Word, as we often do here, will you join me in standing as we read just three short verses this morning? Three short verses that, quite frankly, are confusing but quite honestly, we need to not just be 
uh, seagoers, beachgoers. We don't even need to be lifeguards. We need to be deep sea divers this morning with what it means to follow these verses and who Jesus is, connecting those dots. Verse 35, hear God's word this morning. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So David himself calls him Lord. So how is he also his son? And the great throng, the great multitude, the great crowd heard him gladly. Are you confused yet? A little bit? It's okay to say you are. I was on Monday, I'll be honest. I'm not sure I yet have it all figured out this side of heaven, but we'll try our best by God's grace. Let's pray this morning as we look at this great truth this morning. Father, we know that David had you at his Lord. As you are, Father, your son is David's son, yet also his Lord. What does that mean? Father, what does that mean for us? Are we like that guy who tricked his friends and they thought he drove all the way back, but he actually took a tow trying to connect the dots, and when the truth comes out, it's different than perhaps we thought it was? Father, I don't know. Out of this crazy, difficult passage, would you make your word clear? Make it clear in our hearts, make it clear in our families, make it clear in our church, Father, that you are Lord and Lord indeed, both God and both man, yet fully divine, fully human. You are complete God, complete man, truly God, truly man. We thank you for these things and we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated, guys. Thank you so much. Well, the first thing I want you to see, the first truth we must follow is how Jesus understood the Scriptures, how Jesus understood the Scriptures. And you'll notice there in verse 35, it's very right out of the gate, Jesus is teaching in the temple. Now, remember, this is during the Passover week. This is Tuesday of of the last week of Jesus' life the Tuesday of Jesus' final days, and he's already been questioned. He's already had his triumphal entry. He's already done all these things, and now he's teaching. He's the one that's going to teach. And if you remember, that was the primary reason Jesus came, really, was to teach about himself and to give himself a ransom for many. And as Jesus taught in the temple, it says, he now becomes the questioner. And he says, how can the scribes say? What is he saying there? Jesus is not saying that the scribes, these lawyers, these ones, interpreters of the law, are wrong. The problem is they didn't go far enough. And often as we study the Scriptures, that's exactly what it is. We get enough fill of Jesus, but we don't take it to the next thing. We don't connect the dots that way. But he says here in verse 35, during this pointed question, he says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, you know that title well. Christ is Messiah. It means the anointed one. It's whenever a king was put in office, he had a, a public ceremony. We do that uh, every four or five years, whatever it is, for the presidential nominations. In January, the uh, time when we celebrate the new person coming in, whether you like him or not, the fact that we have a peaceful transfer of, of, of leadership is one thing. In these days, when a king was put in office, he was anointed publicly, but it didn't mean he'd stay there forever because things would go down and things would happen. But the Messiah was promised long ago, and we know that Jesus came to fulfill all that he said he was going to do. And so, friends, from the very get-go, Jesus takes these people back to Scripture. He doesn't play a game with them. He doesn't get haze and fog and everything else. He takes them back to the Scriptures. And that is the first question I want us just to ask here, and Amy will put this on the screen. If Jesus didn't think he could handle life without knowing the Scriptures inside and out, how in the world 
do we think we can? I mean, really, think about this. Jesus, when he asks a question, he doesn't ask any other question except a scriptural question. And if you want to play a Messiah, if you want a Messiah who's going to play fast and loose with the Word of God, Jesus ain't the one we're looking for. In fact, down to the individual words in the most obscure text, anything from Scripture possessed for Jesus unquestioned authority. That when he saw the Scripture, it was authority for him. And it should be for us as well. How do we settle things within the church? Well, the first question we should ask is, does it go against the Word of God? Right? How do you make decisions in your family? What does the Scripture say? How do we do these things? Jesus saw that the Scripture itself spoke about him, and so he didn't try and do his own thing. He followed exactly what it said. And so he says there in verse 35 as he goes on, he says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? What is he trying to say here? Well, in summary, Jesus is saying, guys, you know, and the scribes are right, that there is a Messiah coming. The Scriptures have said this. And, 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 and John, thank you for pointing this out, that guys, we know that Jesus is coming, and the Scriptures have said that, don't we? He's coming again. Even though Second Peter says there will be people who say, Psh, it's been thousands of years, where is this guy? Where is he coming? Just as Jesus trusted the Scriptures to predict and fulfill the coming of His first coming, so too we must trust the Scriptures say Jesus is coming back. That wasn't a pipe dream. That wasn't just a good thing He said. He's actually coming back. That's why when we stand before each other in this church, that's why unforgiveness in this church is an absolute heinous sin, guys. Because we stand before the judge of judges someday, and when we look at our brother and sister, we better not look at each other any different than Jesus does, and that's how he sees us righteous in him. That's why pride goes out the window when we have a church here, because when we stand before him on that judgment day, we give account for everything that has happened in our lives. I posted this on Facebook last night, and this is, it just brings back all flood of emotion and memory, but it was 16 years ago. Many of you remember this. On May 4, 20, 2003, not 20, but 2003, up in Liberty, and, and through the whole area, really, Riverside and, and Gladstone, all the way up to Liberty, but that big tornado came through. Do you remember that? Just whipped through here. And I was at Jewel at the time. We were playing Frisbee five minutes before, and and being goofy, stupid kids, and then they said, tornado warning, oh, yeah, 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 no, like, really, tornado warning is coming, and we got down in the basement of Eaton Hall and heard the train sounds and all that stuff, but it's a reminder that, you know what, even if you don't think something's coming, it is, and I'm grateful that no one got hurt out of that, a lot of damage, things are the same, but friends, Jesus is saying right here very clearly, guys, the scriptures speak in me, guess what, it's right here. It's coming. It has come. And so, too, we Christians should be prepared for the second coming of Christ that is coming. But it's a setup coming. This, this question is a setup for what he's going to get now into verse 36. Look at, back at your Bibles here as we continue on. So he says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? They're, he's affirming them, but Jesus takes it a step further. David himself, verse 36, in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So what is he saying? What is he getting at? Well, I'm going to ask you to hold your spot there, and I want you to turn back to where John uh, read earlier from Psalm 110. Would you do that? I, if you've got a tablet, you click out of it and you scroll up to it. If you've got a Bible, you turn to it. If you've got it in your memory, bring it to the front. 
Just get there. Psalm 110. Everyone do it together. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. In most of your Bibles, as you turn there, you are going to see that little title at the very top that talks about what the psalm is about. And as you turn there, I want to remind you so much of what Jesus just did. Don't look over this. Jesus is getting ready to affirm who he is, but he also affirms for us in the moment who David is and what he did. Psalm 110. Your Bible may say something like this in italics, a psalm of David, a psalm of David. I want to affirm this, guys. Jesus himself says about himself that they are, that he is fulfilling what David wrote about, that the Old Testament is actually God's word. That's why we don't get rid of it. Now, hold that spot. But what Jesus says in Mark is that he believes these words. He believes that Jesus is, or that David is who he said he was. This isn't just made-up stuff. And if we believe the Bible, we take every word as it is. We don't get to cut and paste. We don't get to highlight a certain section, screenshot it, and put it in our own Bible. We take the Word of God as the Word of God because Jesus Himself understood the Scripture to be the Word of God. That's what we have. Before Jesus even talks about Himself, He brings up a necessary conversation that we have. And that necessary conversation is that Jesus' view of Scripture, and Amy will put this up, Jesus' view of Scripture, guys, and hold your spot in Psalm 110. We're going to go through it. But every word is inspired by God. Not inspired like you do every football season when the Chiefs get ready to play and you turn on the Rudy movie, you get all psyched up and Rudy, Rudy. You know, it's not that type of inspired. It's not watching your favorite tearjerker. The inspiration that we are talking about is that Scripture is inspired by God. That Jesus had such a high view of God that everything came from Him. You notice that He said in Mark that David, by the Holy Spirit, that, that, that there was a divine author, that God, so working through the hearts of men, wrote the Scriptures. You ever think about that? I mean, come on. It's, you hear something every... Well, well, it's, you know, Scripture's like that telephone game, Pastor. You know that game, right? You talk in someone's ear and you say, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. And by the time it gets around to the net last person, it's the Royals are going to win another 27 years or something like that. That's, that's how that game works. That's not how God works. God has perfectly preserved for us our Bible as it is. And you have to believe that, guys. You have to trust that. Because there's a world out there that will take every opportunity to tell you that's not true. But if we don't believe the Bible's fully true from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, then we buck against the very words Jesus just said. That's a big deal. Do you know in our convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, I'm looking at John Moody. John's taking this class. John, brother, what was it, 30, 40 years ago, we had this fight about the Bible? Was the Bible really God's Word, or was it just a good collection of stories that talked about God's Word? <laughs> What do you believe? Is the Bible actually the Word of God, or is it not? Is it really inspired? How do you tell a church that preaches the Word of God? We come to you not with anything except the authority of what that Scripture says. That's our authority. If I go to you and, and, and I come to you and say, Brother, you're in this sin, and I come to you and I say, Just stop doing that. They're going to look at me and say, Who are you and by what authority do you come? Well, I am nobody, but I come with the King of kings and Lord of lords on the authority of His Word, and what you're doing is not right. Parents, 
this is a great reminder to you as well, that when you discipline your kids, and I am not perfect at this, and we're still learning this, but when you come to them, it's not just because mommy and daddy said so, it's because mommy and daddy believe the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the authority, and he says, stop that. Stop kicking your sister, man. Whatever it is, believe it. So guys, do we believe the Word of God to be the Word of God? You want to be very practical? You want to know what separates a liberal church from a conservative church? It's believing whether what Jesus just said is true or whether it's not. A liberal church runs out of ideas after a while. There's only so much you can talk about that's not, well, there's only so much you can talk about. The Word of God, guys, we could stay in Mark for the rest of our lives, amen? Oh, come on. You know you want to do that. Yes. But I hope you see that. Jesus viewed every word of Scripture as inspired. And the second thing I want you to see out of that, second thing I want you to take out of that, it's not a matter of scholarship. It's a matter of lordship. It's not just because the Bible scholars say it's the Word of God. It's because Jesus himself affirmed it to be the Word of God. Do you see the difference? It's not because Dr. So-and-so says, yeah, you know, based on the history and my degrees, I believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. Well, good for you, doctor, and I affirm you, amen, thumbs up, and a pat on the back. The Word of God, guys, is the Word of God because Jesus is Lord or He's not. Do you see how, what a high view of Scripture it is, that all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is profitable inspired by God for reproof, correction, and rebuke. What Jesus is affirming is that all Scripture is a product of the primary authorship of God through the Holy Spirit. To have any lesser views, to be odds with the Lordship of Jesus. And so when he says in Mark 12, he quotes Psalm 110. I want to walk this through with you very, very quickly. Psalm 110. And you notice this as it starts out here. uh, As it starts out in Psalm 110, it says this. Look there, the Lord says to my Lord. What is this saying? What is Jesus quoting? Well, he's quoting to us the very fact that the Lord here, God the Father, says to the Lord, to Jesus, sit at my right hand. What you are seeing, guys, in Psalm 110 is the fulfillment of Jesus' mission. He is quoting to the crowd in Mark 12 that which he's about to do on the Friday of Holy Week. The Lord God the Father says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let me be super clear here so there's no confusion. Jesus has always been Jesus from eternity past. He did not gain lordship. He did not garner lordship. He's always been Lord. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that Jesus is, it was, it was, it was given to him. Uh, the Mormons will say he's, he's a relationship of a God from a God from a God from a God from a God. And it's got the text like this, like a Star Wars movie, kind of, kind of comes at you like an angle. That's not Scripture. That's fiction. Scripture says, as Psalm 110 affirms, that Jesus was given the keys to the kingdom. Not because he earned them, but because the mission he fulfilled. Notice verse 2, the Lord, that's God the Father, sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Jesus is predicting his death, burial, and resurrection. He's going to sit down by the Father, and he's going to exercise all authority. Verse 3, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of power. What does that mean? The image is is of dew. It, it, It suddenly appears in the night, and it's gone. Uh, From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. What he's saying is, is that your people are going to go out in your power. 
Jesus is, the Father's telling Jesus, your people are going to go, they're going to do your work, and they're going to do that until, notice verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. God had always set up for his people to be representatives of him on the earth. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What is Jesus saying about himself, the Father saying about Christ? He's saying that Jesus is not only a priest, but he's also king. He's not only one who can take sin, but he's also one who can rule over all things. And verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment on the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, his head will be lifted up. Pastor, I'm lost. Told you it's a tough passage. Mark 12 affirms when Jesus quotes Psalm 110 that the plan had always been for the Father to send the Son, for the Son to fulfill the mission, for the mission to continue on through the people, and through the people, the kingdom of God goes forth. But at the end of the age, God is going to smash every tooth. He's going to break every back. He's going to be so happy that in heaven someday... You will clap at the thought of a wicked person going to hell because you know you are on the side of the God who set it all up, who's reigning forever. And friends, it won't be sad because you will see as God sees and he sees perfect justice that was rejected by those who rejected him. This is the God we serve. Darren, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is love and grace and mercy. Amen. But the Jesus we just read about is a God of justice, a God of rule, a God of authority, and he does everything according to his plan. Aren't you grateful for that? There is not one thing in this world that will ever go unanswered for. You've been hurt. There's no reconciliation for you. The people passed away. You can't get a hold of them. You, you, you've tried to, to pray. You've tried to seek change. You've tried to whatever. God will make it right someday, if not on this world. That is the great hope that we have. And you know what the greatest right he's going to make right? That they put him to death, the perfect sinless one, and we will cheer for all eternity because Jesus is reigning forever and ever and ever and ever. That's hope. That's hope. So what does Jesus say? He says that this has always been told about me, and this is how he understood Scripture, that he's not just a, a pawn in the chess game of God's economy, but he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All right, go back, to ver go back to Mark. Go back to Mark one more time. And Amy, you can go ahead and put the next slide up. I, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. But you can go on. This is how Jesus understood himself. Tina, I was thinking of you this week. You said up front, you're the only one that's going to get this on your paper. It's so small. But let me tell you what Jesus thought of himself. Look back at verse Mark 12, 36. Let's read it one more time. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. Jesus is telling us that he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is telling us he's Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is telling us he's fully God and he's co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful with the Father and the Spirit, the one Trinity, three in one. Jesus is saying that he's soon to be enthroned in the heavens by God himself, that in that day he will be seated and rest from all trouble and presently he has many enemies, but one day he's going to crush them all out. Guys, that is the God we serve. 
But Darren, the Bible never says that God is a God of wrath. Oh, you should have been there on Wednesday night as our brother Derek opened up the scriptures for us to see all this. God is a God of wrath. He's coming again. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. But at the same time, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. What a God we serve. Guys, God's attributes are never in opposition to one another, are they? His love is just as good as his mercy. His grace is just as good as his justice. His wrath is just as good as his humility. Praise God for that. So what does he say? Jesus understood the scriptures about himself this way, and then he goes on to the last point. Something we need to remember is how Jesus viewed himself. Notice verse 37, and then we'll take some application time. Verse 37. This is how Jesus understood himself. David himself calls him Lord, so how is his son? What? Read that one more time. David himself calls him Lord, so how is this also his son? Here's the height of the argument Jesus is saying. This is more uh, than a question of greatness, for Solomon had a greater kingdom than David. This is a question mark. If David's son is greater than him in rank, then the son of David must also be something other than human. This means the son of David must also fully be God. What we are being presented with, guys, is the fact that Jesus is truly God and truly man. Please hear this clearly. Jesus is not your shampoo and conditioner two-in-one that mixes together to make a thing you glop on your hair when you take a shower. Do you understand? Jesus is 100%. Or our brother Derek has pointed this out well on Wednesday nights. He's truly God, but he's also truly man. To take either one of those away and you lose who Jesus is. Pastor, I've got financial problems. Pastor, my family is falling apart. And you're talking to me about the nature of Jesus Christ? Yes, brother. Yes, ma'am, I am. Do you understand why? Because the more you know about Jesus, the more everything else kind of gets in its right perspective. Do you understand that? You have a God who's always been God, reigning, seeing, knowing, knowing everything that's happening in your life, but at the same time became one of us and who can sympathize with your weakness, who can recognize when you are weak because he too was tempted as we are. What a God we serve. This is why whatever you're facing in your life, the bigger view you have of Jesus Christ, the bigger view you have of your problem in that that problem just goes... My son never ceases to amaze me. But do you understand what Jesus is saying? He says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, there is my name, there is no other. And this is it. He's not only God, but he's also man. That's encouragement to us, church. Jesus looked at his situation of his day spiritually and was, was upset. You should look at our situation in our culture in America and be upset as well. That people who name the name of Jesus aren't walking like Jesus, they're walking like I don't even know what they're walking like. All the cultural references I have are 10 years old, so I don't even know who they walk like today. But folks, I want you to get this. Jesus understood himself as truly God and truly man. Truly God and truly man. The full deity of Jesus Christ is the solid rock upon which he builds his church. Knowing that God is God helps you put in perspective. You know what? 
let's be honest, two weeks ago this sanctuary was full of people. You may look around today and say, man, there's four rows right here that aren't filled. Where are those people at? Do you realize what keeps us going week after 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 week to church? It's that God's in control. It's that when the attendance drops and the budget's not where you want it to be and you're plugging away as a church and as people and you're doing it faithfully, you trust that God is in control. Same in your family. When you look at people spiritually and you don't see any growth and you say, God, if I could just get in their heart and change this and change that, God looks at you and says, but if I got in your heart, I'd change this and I'd change that. It's God who's in control. When you see that Jesus is who he says he was, our church is built on that. Guys, Tower View Baptist Church may cease to exist one day, but the gates of hell will never prevail against the church of God because he's the one that founded it. And that's what we know. And when the crowd heard this, they were amazed because their leaders never taught like this. In fact, no one ever questioned their leaders. But this is what Jesus said, that in him there is hope, and in him there is fullness of deity, and in him we have hope. 2 Timothy 2.8, we read, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Jesus isn't explaining that everyone has been wrong about the Christ or had falsely identified him. He's asking how Christ can just be the son of David, how he could just be a human. He's upping the game. He's saying, look, guys, verse 37, he's, this, this Messiah is not just a man. He's the God-man. Guys, this separates everything from the world. This is why we do not link arms theologically with Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Confucianisms, ism, 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 ism. We link arms with people who profess that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. Sure, can we acknowledge some common good causes for the community? Absolutely. Please don't misunderstand. But this is why defining your faith so specifically is the best thing you can ever do. He's Lord of lords and King of kings. And they, oh man, they love this. They love seeing the authority of God unleashed upon their false shepherds. So Jesus' argument in a nutshell, how can the Messiah just be a man? He has to be the God-man, truly God, truly man, all the same. Let me apply this as we close today. The first thing I want you to see as a reminder is the Holy Spirit has no bad breath. He doesn't need Listerine when God spoke through the authors of Scripture. That's all that we needed. We don't need the gospel of Judas. We don't need the gospel of Mary, the gospel of Lazarus. The Holy Spirit has no breath, brothers and sisters. When he wrote the word, it was perfect, inerrant, infallible, inspired. It's authoritative, and it's practical for your life. Get in it. Talk to a brother this week who said that his life is radically changed by just focusing on the Scripture more. Look, I know we're all busy. We got it. You got to drive to work, pop in your pop in your podcast. You can listen to the Bible more freely than you ever could. If you're at home during the day, set an alarm. Whatever. Get in the word. You want this church to grow and move, then get in the word. You want this church to be a, a powerful, mighty army for Jesus. The higher we're in the word, the more we're in the word, the more we'll want to be with each other, and the more we'll want to be out inside the world sharing the gospel. The Holy Spirit has no bad breath. Everything we have is perfectly as God wanted it to be. Secondly, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Please hear that clearly. 
when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's why when someone comes up to you and says, the Lord told me this. What did the Lord tell you? Well, the Lord told me that, that, that well, that I know the day and the hour that Jesus is coming back from, from, from the return. Run as quick as you've ever run since high school track days, guys. Get out of there quick. Be careful. Guys, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. We do not have another word, guys. This is it. This is it. Church, we are getting ready to tackle our bylaws from top to bottom and write position statements about how we feel about certain issues within the church. Guess what our authority is going to be? This. The authority for your family, sir, and leading your wife, your kids, your grandkids is this. But Darren, there's so many different interpretations to the Bible. Guys, look, let, there's some grace on secondary issues, but the facts are clear on the essentials, aren't they? Look, you may disagree whether you can wear pants or have to wear a skirt, but I know this to be true. We're going to agree that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? When the Bible speaks, God speaks. If you deny that statement, can we get super practical? If you deny that statement, you deny that Jesus is really Lord. Because Jesus himself said the scriptures are authority. Whatever you read, read the Bible first. Whatever you read, read the Bible first. Notice that Jesus went straight to the Word, as we should we. Whatever you read, read the Bible first. Before you turn on the television, read the Bible. Even if it's just a verse, it's a discipline. Do it. And lastly, and I said this a minute ago, but the Lord told me is never a substitute for the Bible says. I remember several, several years ago being, and, and I, please do not see me as a hero in this story. It's not the point. It's just a conversation. But several years ago down in Westport, we were talking to a group from a local group down in Grandview, and many of you know where this is. It's not the pancake place, it's the prayer place. But they kept coming up to us. Every Friday night, we were down, every Saturday night, we were down in Westport sharing the gospel. And they would say, God told me to tell you not to share the gospel here because you might offend people. God told me to tell you this. God told me to tell you that. God told me to tell you this. And would you know every single, please do not take this as Darren's the hero, but we walked with them through these things and through the scriptures, and they said, well, that's not what God told me. I don't care what that thing says. God didn't tell me that. Guys, if that's how you do your Christianity, you are doing it not in the power of the Spirit. You're doing it in the power of the flesh, let alone the power of Satan himself, perhaps. Be very, very careful. When we gather together and someone says, God told me this, the first reaction we should have is, what does the Bible say about that? Well, Darren, that sounds really mean. I mean, you're telling people they're wrong. Guys, if you're a Christian, you're automatically telling people you're wrong. You told people that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, therefore everyone else is wrong. But we love them, we serve them, we humbly walk with them. You know what? And the funny thing is, the same crowd who cheered on Jesus, whoo, you, you stick it to him, Jesus, is the same crowd that walked out three days later and said, Be careful. Guys, the word is our authority. Let's pray as we close out today. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that Jesus clearly says here that the son of David, the Messiah, is not just a man, but he's also the God-man. He's deity. So, Father, as we pattern our lives around these things, as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper again in a couple minutes, prepare our hearts. Father, forgive us if we have been sheepish around people who would uh, question our beliefs. We haven't stood for you, but Lord, help us to stand humbly uh, with gentleness, always ready to give an answer for the truth that lies within us, as Peter says. 
But Father, help us also to to, to be bold when we need to be bold. Father, we're never going to be friends with this world. We're never going to be in cahoots with this world. Father, because this isn't our home. Our home is with you, Lord, wherever and whatever time that may be. We thank you for that. Father, we just rejoice that truth is in this church. Thank you for these folks who love the truth. Lord, protect this church from anything that would be untruthful one to another and mostly untruthful to you. Father, we love you. Thank you so much, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Would you join us in standing as we get ready to sing our next song and partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the deacons to come down as well, gentlemen, if you will. And uh, after the song, we'll prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper as we do. Thank you.